we were well into the Easter workday when he asked, what if we made all this up just because we were afraid to die? And then he flinched like he was afraid I was going to hit him because that was an out-of-bounds question. Instead, I said, good question. You're not the first to ask it. So what do you think? The church tries awfully hard to say that it is all underlined, bold-faced about faith. Except faith is usually proved by memorizing all the facts, the traditions, the doctrines of the church, which isn't exactly the biblical definition of faith. Somehow it is believed if we went through confirmation and we've been going to church and Bible class or Sunday school, we aren't allowed to ask any hard questions. And if someone does ask any of those, you shouldn't ask that questions. There is always a perfect Bible verse to shame them and shut down any further conversation. And yet the church, all through the Bible, has been full of questions and honest doubts. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night with questions about faith. The rich young ruler asked, so I've done it all, but what do I got to do to be saved? The woman at the well wondered out loud, so can I worship here or do I have to do what you Jews say and go worship in Jerusalem? Pilate asked what is truth. And Thomas went so far as to say, I will not believe unless I stick my finger where the nail holes were in his hand. Life is full of questions. And at least in the Gospels, people went to Jesus in order to find the answer to those questions. Because no one else was willing to let them ask, let alone help them find the answers. Sometimes as you are reading or listening to the Gospels, even stories that are very familiar, you discover something new. Something pops up. This year. This year, oh, in the Easter story, I found the most beautiful moment. The women show up at the tomb early on Sunday morning with oils and spices to anoint Jesus' dead body. There wasn't enough time on Friday. You know, the Sabbath starts at 6 p.m. sharp, and you actually have to be inside your home whenever the sundial clicks 12. The Sabbath ended at 6 p.m. on Saturday evening, whether it was the Roman guard, fear, grief, or they had to wait until the oil and spice dealer opened up after the Sabbath that kept them from running back at 6.01 p.m. on Saturday night when the Sabbath was over. I don't know. But Sunday morning they got there before the sun had fully risen to take care of their unfinished business. Faith is both conscious and unconscious. It is something we profess in words and also in our deeds. Hopefully other people not only hear what we say, but catch a glimpse of our faith alive in our life. But faith also resides in our hearts and soul, unseen and silent, guiding our thoughts, words, and life, conscious, unconscious, seen, unseen. There are several times the gospel writers wrote, the disciples didn't understand at the time, but later, after his resurrection, they put two and two together and realized that God had been at work all along. And so it is with us as well. Jesus told the disciples, I must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed, and on the third day rise again. Whether any of the disciples understood and believed this, we don't know. From all outward signs, on Friday night it appeared that they had lost all hope and assumed when Jesus' body was placed in the tomb, that was the end of the story. But that was only on the outside. On the inside, the heart and the soul were still at work. 
unseen and silently guiding their thoughts and words, even if none of the disciples knew it. In John's Gospel, just before Holy Week, Jesus goes to see Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He causes a huge commotion in Bethany. Everyone knew Jesus had brought Lazarus back from the dead, and they all lined up, hoping to see Jesus and get a miracle of their own. That night during dinner, Mary takes a jar of very expensive perfume, so much so it says it was worth a year's wages, and she pours it over Jesus' feet. Judas objects. Jesus shuts him down by saying, Come on, leave her alone. She's preparing me for my burial. Now, I don't know if the disciples were paying attention or if they understood the importance of this moment, but I know that their hearts and their souls were listening. Here is where we need to insert some history. Roman rule decreed the bodies of those who were crucified were to be left on the crosses to rot. They were to become food for the birds. They were to be, this was to be a warning. This is what happens when you mess with the Roman Empire. Jesus' body should have remained on the cross until there was very little of him left to bury. Then, by the way, he would have been taken outside the city to a potter's field, buried in an unmarked grave in the dirt. More signs of his forsakenness. When Joseph of Arimathea, who was a high-ranking Jewish leader, asked Pilate's permission to retrieve the body, it is likely because of his position that the Romans actually agreed. Jewish funeral rites were very precise. The body should have been immersed in spices and oils, wrapped in a burial shroud that, by the way, also doubled for the way that they would carry the body to the grave. The women always led the processional, weeping loudly, very, very loudly. The men would shave their beards and tear their clothing as outward signs of their inward grief. Friends and family would fill out the dark parade and all along the route, people would stop whatever they were doing to pay their respects. Anyone with money had a family burial area, either a niche carved into the side of a rock or a natural cave. Now, there was always this shelf cut out for the body. When the processional arrived, the body was placed on that shelf. Everyone would pay their last respects. The final prayer would be said, and then the stone would be rolled in place. Then it was back to the house to continue the stories and the grieving. Now, one year later, they would come back to retrieve the bones, because that's what, all that would be left. They would put them in an ossuary, and then they would be placed beside all the other family members in the tomb. The shelf, by the way, was then ready for the next funeral. Joseph and the women had only three hours to get Jesus to the tomb and also get themselves home. You couldn't be late. We don't know how long it took to get permission or who Joseph recruited to help him carry the body, but we know that there was not enough time for the anointing or the proper processional. They had enough time to wrap him in a burial shroud, which, by the way, would have been soaked with blood and sweat. They hurried to the tomb, placed Jesus' body on the shelf, rolled the stone in place, and that would have been the last sight and smell the women would have had of Jesus before the sound of the stone being rolled in place and the Roman centurion telling them to leave. Some would say showing up on Sunday morning with oil and spices was a sign of surrender. It's a complete lack of faith because you don't show up to anoint a dead body unless you are pretty sure that the body was still gonna be there for you to anoint. Now, if they showed up wearing funny party hats and with noisemakers and a sign that said, we're so glad you're not dead anymore, that, that would have been an act of faith. But showing up with oils and spices meant they thought they were going to a funeral. 
And still, they showed up. Even though they had thought he was dead, they came to honor him with a proper burial. Even if custom and all the prim and proper religious leaders say he didn't deserve it, they were going to give him one because they loved him. First funeral I went to was for a girl named Lori. She was killed by a drunk driver. She was in my class at Merrill Junior High School. She was Catholic. She was the daughter of a police officer. And they pulled out all the stops for this funeral. I went to the funeral because she was dead. I don't remember what I wore, but I'm pretty sure it was not a party hat. I didn't take any party favors with me. And I didn't have a sign that said, we're so glad you're not dead anymore. I didn't know what to expect. Never been to a Catholic church service, let alone a Catholic funeral. Everyone was wearing black. They were all crying. There were lots of police officers in their dress uniforms, and there were several big black Cadillacs out front. Much of the service, by the way, back then was still in Latin. But at the end, the priest walked over to the coffin, and he said, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in the sure and the certain hope of the resurrection from the dead that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I translated that to mean, we're thankful that you're not dead anymore, thanks to Jesus. My Baptist Sunday school training kicked in and I pictured her hanging out in heaven with Jesus and asking him a million questions while the angels sang and played their harps and threw a party for her. Now she still wasn't going to be in class the next day. Teacher left her desk right where it was, still had her name tag on it. Her family would have to go through all the holidays and the rest of their lives on earth without her. But she wasn't dead. The priest said so. And her family and all of those police officers in their dress uniforms, they all nodded when he said it in silent agreement. What if we made all this up because we're afraid to die, he asked me. And I responded, that's a good question. You're not the first to ask it. What do you think? Some of you might have shown up today with oils and spices because you heard that Jesus was dead and there wasn't a time for a proper funeral on Friday. Some of you might be afraid to ask tough questions because you don't want anybody to think you're weak and you know that people look down on people that ask a lot of those questions. And so you buried those questions the same way that they buried Jesus' body. Some of you may have come hoping beyond all hope that maybe, just maybe, there is something more to this story of Jesus. Oh, I know, they said he was dead, but there were those women and a few others who said that he came back to life. St. Peter in his second letter to the church said, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I consider it right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, knowing that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. And I will also make every effort that you may be able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Oh, what beautiful words those are. Peter noted that doubts and questions are part of the faith because we haven't died yet. Yeah, you see, we would love to have, never have a moment of hesitation, never have a moment of doubt, never experience that feeling in the pit of our stomach or that point where we find ourselves wondering, what if? But as long as we are alive, such moments and feelings and points are bound to happen. Peter went on to say, we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses. And that is exactly what we needed to hear. This is the part of the Easter story I love the most. 
See, as much as I love Easter Sunday, it's the other 364 days that matter. During all those days, I keep waiting for the world to prove me wrong. But so far, they haven't been able to. They have tried to find his body and failed. They came up with a million explanations as to how he pulled off this Easter miracle. Everything from he had a twin brother to he didn't die, he only fainted. But even secular records note this tomb was empty. His body was not there. And since there was a Roman guard and the watchful eye of the religious leaders, the fact that they can't explain Jesus' resurrection except to say, well, somebody must have stolen his body or he was only mostly dead. It gives me a lot of hope because better and smarter people than me have tried to prove me wrong. And they failed. The resurrection is still all about faith. But faith in times like these, it's all I need. For the rest of the apostles' lives, from 30 AD to the 90s, there was enough proof for the people in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth that a lot of them became followers of Jesus. Not because of cleverly invented stories, but because they saw Jesus alive and well in his people. In fact, it turns out they couldn't not see him continue to live on in his disciples. If the only reason we dreamed this whole Jesus thing up was because we were afraid to die, I can think of a thousand better explanations and stories for us to hold on to. I'm actually not afraid to die. I just want to know that my life had meaning, that it was worth it. In spite of all the things I failed at, all the things I've messed up, all the things I wanted to do or should have done or didn't do, I need to know when it's all said and done, I'm still loved. And there's something waiting for me after I take my last breath. You see, if anything, Easter is not about being afraid of dying. It's about wanting to live, really live, not just here and now, but forever and ever. You know, because of all the things I've studied and all the questions I've asked, Jesus is still the only one that has all the answers. And the best part is, he doesn't mind me asking him all those questions, even when I ask him the same question over and over and over again. He even puts up with my occasional doubts and those times that I ask if I can stick my finger in the holes in his hands where the nails were. You know, one of the best Easter stories was the one we just read a few minutes ago. It's about Mary, who when she finds the tomb empty, goes running out to find Jesus' body. And she runs smack dab into Jesus. But it's so dark and she's crying so hard that she doesn't recognize him. But she says, tell me where you put his body and I'm going to go and get it. She wasn't going to stop until she saw his face again, even if he was dead. When he spoke her name, she dried her eyes enough to see that he was right there in front of him. She dropped the oil and the spices because they didn't matter anymore. And she held on to him. You know, this afternoon, as you're sitting around a big meal or Zooming with family and friends or watching TV or going for a walk, don't be afraid to ask a question or two of the people that you're with. Even ask some of those hard questions. And if there's an awkward silence or sudden burst of Bible passages, don't worry about it. Some folks get really nervous about such things, and it's okay. But it's important they know that you have questions and that it's okay that you ask them. When you do, they might admit they've had questions, questions that they were afraid to ask. Now they know they aren't alone, and maybe you guys can ask them together. It's a very good time to be a Lutheran. In fact, it's the perfect time. You see, when we find out Jesus isn't dead anymore, even though we aren't going to get our money back for all those oil and spices we bought, we discover the perfect question is the one that we learned in confirmation. So what does this mean? What does this mean? And the only way to answer that question is to live and love and laugh in Jesus' name 
until he comes to take us home. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are unique and unreproducible miracles of God. And you aren't alone. And your questions matter. Go. Go and ask them by living a life in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.